This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio. Welcome to this special episode of The Money Pot, where we are bringing you a live onstage conversation that myself and my co-host Rachel Morrissey had just last week. Yes, we had the chance to interview Nathan Beckerman of Cross River and Jeff Billingham of Chainalysis. This took place at the launch party for their brand new partnership. And through the course of the conversation, we discussed the accessibility of crypto for smaller players, such as community banks and fintechs, the way crypto can become more legitimized, and the benefits of Web3 custodianship. So rather than hang around, let's jump right into the conversation live from New York City. We don't have a great deal of time together, but I think the first thing to ask, obviously, I mean, clearly... This announcement was made last week, obviously, the Chainalysis and Cross River uh, partnership. And I'm going to ask each of you in turn, so what, what are you getting out of the relationship? So I'll go, go to you first, Nathan. So what, what um, is Cross River doing partnering with Chainalysis? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so we, we envision the future of fintech and crypto, uh, and we're trying to build the infrastructure for that. And to do that, we put compliance at the forefront of what we're doing. So Chainalysis being a leader in the space... Uh, we're partnering with them to be able to build that and to offer our customers a compliant solution to be able to operate in crypto. Okay. And over to you, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled with the partnership. I'm thrilled with partnerships like this in the financial institution space because really in order to get into crypto, in order to bring crypto into sort of what we call traditional financial services, yeah. really the first thing that needs to happen is compliance, right? I, I, it's almost compliance and education, I think, go hand in hand, right? And there's so many sort of misconceptions that still exist around crypto, especially when you're talking to right. um, the traditional financial service space. So being able to to work with folks like Cross River and, and, and you know, work with folks who are leading the industry in this direction um, yeah. with a, you know, a compliance step forward is what we're all about. And it, it certainly is, I think, you know, a big step in terms of legitimizing crypto, which, I mean, for the longest time has had a reputation of being a bit of the Wild West. And it's, you know, it's clearly the, the on-ramps with more traditional financial institutions are going to be very important in that. Um, I want to ask you, Nathan, about, you know, the demands you're seeing in terms of fintechs in the crypto space. What's, what are your clients seeing? Yeah. So... Crossriver has been an early entrant into the crypto space, uh, offering services to crypto companies uh, since 2012, really. Mm -hmm. But recently, we've taken a more uh, intense approach to building crypto-native products. Uh, why that is? Well, a survey recently came out stating that 20% of Americans have invested in crypto. Yeah. It's a relatively high number compared to the rest of the world. Uh, but if you compare that to the amount of adoption to fintechs, two-thirds of Americans have interacted with digital payments or fintech apps. Yeah. So we think that gap will close by having more adoption of crypto yeah. use case. And, and certainly I think, I mean, as you said, I mean, the, the yeah. fear of digital banks, digital payment services is, is kind of hugely mitigated. And I think obviously the last couple of years have really accelerated people's level of comfort and trust in, in digital products and experimentation as well. I mean, it's, you know, crypto is clearly one of those areas. You know, so, last year yeah. uh, we, did a, we did an episode with Chainalysis and one of the <laughs> points of the episode was how their work is actually doing a lot to legitimize uh, crypto, the crypto space. Um, 
Now, I have been covering this industry since 2013. I've been talking about Bitcoin for a long time. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things about Bitcoin, particularly in those <clears throat> early days, like you said, you've been in the crypto space for a long time, so you're going to be familiar with this, is obviously that, you know, there was a lot of um, uh, negative press and negative use cases where you were seeing all kinds of criminal activity, <clears throat> dark webs, you know, all this kind of stuff about Silk Road, just blah, blah, blah. And then um, there was some very serious cases of, of Bitcoin being stolen and, uh, and that, uh, taking them out of commission completely. So my, my question is, is like, how far have we gone down to where we could l consider crypto legitimized? And uh, partially, how much of that is due to work like what Chainalysis is doing? Sure. Uh, first of all, I'm glad you got that because I yeah. do have a tequila soda here <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of a water. Like, uh, that's a better deal, man. I'm coughing and bleeding now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that the, I mean, what I, what I still go into a lot of these discussions with is a lot of the data that chain analysis has provided around what's legitimate and what's not, right? So um, still getting asked about, you know, these kinds of, uh, events that happened a long time ago. And listen, that's absolutely fine. We want to be able to educate people about what did happen and what was sort of untraceable or difficult mm. to track or difficult to identify because the reality is now, you know, less than 1% of all of the transaction activity that we cover is considered to be or associated with any kind of illicit, you know, service. So, um, you know, absolutely, as a percentage of overall transaction activity, mm. This, this world is, is really by far and away about innovation, new ideas, new markets, bringing new people to a market that they've never been in. Um, but it's, you know, certainly you still need to be able to track. On an absolute right. basis, we're talking about dollar values where it's far in excess of what we were talking about in, you know, 2013. Right. Well, and it's hard to get past the media in this space and how, you know, it still gets associated with ransomware or some of this other stuff. And I think that's where... Part of what uh, Cross River is doing is coming in because if you're if you're taking crypto and you're thinking you're going to close it with the fintech gap, I mean, how are you going to get the message out that <laughs> this the ransomware the stuff the media covers is the one percent case, not the you know ninety percent case? Yeah, I mean, we 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 see a clear demand for the, the end users want to participate in crypto. Fintechs have the attention of the end users, and so we want to power those fintechs mm. to be able to give the end users what they want. Um, it, it, like three or four years ago, your comment probably is more into like people are still on the sidelines. Mm. Now I think even banks, you know, we, we also work with some community banks, and they're seeing their assets be transferred out and going to fintech apps mm. to purchase crypto or to invest in crypto. And so everyone really wants to be part of the crypto bandwagon, but they want to do it in the right way. Got an interesting question, actually, because I mean, there's, there's still pretty high-profile cases, obviously, of uh, crypto crime happening. Um, I think it wasn't long ago there was the aspiring rapper Razzle Khan in, in this very city who was, you know, um, nearly got away with $4 billion worth of crypto, right? Is, but is, is anonymity even possible now in crypto? It seems that, again, given the the on-ramps and the, the checks for KYC and AML, it's every, you know, going on. It, is, is it even possible now? I mean, you know, I think, I think the distinction here is really between individuals or what we call retail and, and institutions, right? right? 
if if you're in the business of working with other people's money and or other people's cryptocurrency, I don't think there should be an expectation that you should as a business or as an institution remain anonymous, mm-hmm. right? Like that is really I think out the door. Right. Um, you know, it, I think a lot of the same things sort of apply in the cash world too, right? Absolutely. We we can we can transact dollar <clears throat> bills right now without any institution knowing mm-hmm. about it for whatever reason. But the minute that I'm going to take my, my money and deposit it at an institution, or if I need to move lots of the money across a border, mm. like there's going to have to be some sort of identifying principles there. Yeah. Well, I would think, again, I mean, on, on that point, but actually more about, you know, the partnership with, with yourselves and obviously Chainalysis. I mean, um, I mean, Nathan, where are you seeing the, the partnership offers services beyond crypto? Because, you know, again, it's, it's clearly, there's a lot going on in the space. Well, I would flip the question a bit and say that crypto is going to touch every part of our financial lives. Fair enough. And so what what we're really seeing is that crypto is going to continue to be a larger part of your wallet, a larger part of your financial life, and really, generally speaking, a larger part of your life. And most users in the future won't even know they're interacting with crypto. Mm. It will be crypto on the back end and fintech will be on the front end. Okay. And so that was a big part of CrossRiver's bet into the future and our growth thus far is betting on fintech. So you're seeing more of it, I mean, beyond crypto, more into sort of Web3 initiatives and, you know, clearly the, the decentralization uh, initiatives that we're seeing. There's clearly a load of activity in DeFi, particularly in the last couple of years. Is that again? I mean, that, that's clearly yeah, huge, yeah. huge opportunities Definitely. for streamlining yeah. processes. Yeah, I mean, in ownership of assets, payments, transactions, you know, security. There's tons of benefits that Web3 offers mm-hmm. that we just need to harness in the right way in order to be able to, to live it and breathe it in our everyday lives. Right. You said something kind of interesting earlier where you talked about you're, you're looking at community banks and they're seeing the, the bleed away and, and the, the investment in crypto and they want to be part of the action on that. Um, and you Obviously, you guys serve a few community banks along with the several fintechs. So how do they want to be part of the action on that? Well, community banks have a very interesting business model. Mm. And they have something very valuable, which is they have a very close relationship with their customers. They have a lot of trust. And so a lot of their customers, the community bank customers, want to buy cryptocurrency at an institution they trust. But a lot of these community banks may not have the manpower, the technology to be able to offer, um, or the know-how really, to offer cryptocurrency trading mm-hmm. to their end users. So they need someone to help them power that. Okay. I would even say, even on the sort of like more traditional boring things, the opportunity, and, and I think what's really exciting about being in this space right now is, helping people or trying to paint the picture to other financial institutions or payment processors or anybody who has to deal with money, painting the picture of, you know, there's so much infrastructure that we just take for granted with cash that just doesn't exist, right? Like concepts like direct deposit or cashing out an account or splitting funds into 401ks and savings accounts, like all of that is going to be built by the Cross Rivers, the banks, the fintechs of the world even though we don't, we don't even think about that as like innovation. It's just sort of an expectation at this point yeah. with cash. It doesn't exist for crypto. Interesting. I've got a question actually for both of you around that. I mean, the, the cash is, you know, clearly has issues around anonymity and even hygiene these days, right? So there's, there's concerns about that. I can remember not that long ago having to 
you know, used cash for the first time in a long time. It felt dirty. I mean, it really did. Um, but we're seeing, obviously, this move, you know, from a lot of the central banks to central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Um, is, do you think that's FOMO, or is it really just, you know, are these legitimate opportunities happening, or is it really just, you know, banks trying to not be disintermediated, you know, at, or central banks, that is? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, certainly depends on what central bank you're talking about, right? Well, again, if there's a, a <laughs> distinction between certain countries right, and others, right? there are certain central banks. I think, in, like, to take the most optimistic, the sort of the best concept available I wouldn't say it's FOMO at all. I think it's absolutely a real opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are certain risks and there are certain, you know, um, and opportunities to this. You know, I would think if I were a central bank operator, I would probably look at this and just look at the technology and say, yeah. this is a huge cost mitigation. Like, I get to decrease my costs quite a bit. Well, absolutely. I mean, the cost right? of printing money the cost is of more printing than money. money right. The cost of all of that paper and plastic or polymer, whatever we make money out of, like all of the... Cotton. Um, we make money out of cotton. Cotton. Yeah. See, like the I didn't. I had no idea. Like I. But yeah. there's material. You have to store it. 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 It burns. It. It. Like all of that is, is is you're able to sort of you know mm-hmm. get rid of that in, in some. And I know this is an interest. It's an interesting thought of mine because, you know, the environmental issue comes up quite a bit with crypto. Right. I, it would be so interesting if it were actually environmentally more sustainable for central banks to look to CBDCs it, as it's, opposed to It's cash. fascinating as well right. that some of the, the more interesting ESG initiatives yeah. seem to be actually around crypto. Yeah. I mean, in terms of actually harnessing power that is in some ways being, you know, misused anyway. Sure. Or, and let's put things in context. I and mean, what is the cost of money, for example? Right. You know, the cost of, like I say, manufacturing and printing and, right. and distribution is phenomenal. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I'd also point out that there are, you know, like the commercial bank structure mm. is a critical part of moving money around. Yeah. So we can't, we can't, I mean, if a central bank were in theory able to be able to maintain accounts, we can't just get rid of commercial banks and how they're set up. Mm. Um, you, you do kind of think about a world of like private money in a lot of ways. And we've, we've had private monies and economies and current, um, you know, countries before, and it's, it's not really worked out that well. So there, there are definitely things to work out. It's not a, it's not a, a magic pill. Yeah. I don't think. What about you, Nathan? There's a lot to unpack there, but yes, um, <laughs> I think the, the institutions that will survive in the future of web three, there, there will be hybrids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a, very strong opportunity for banks to be part of that. Yes. Uh, you know, there's there's you know plenty of camps saying that banks are, are not in the future, but you know, I, th- I think we're kind of seeing it now. Yeah. I, I think there's, I mean, it's not that the banks. I think there was the you see kind of like the banks are obsolete. You know, people don't want to do branches anymore. But we're seeing, right. we're seeing it here. We're, we're we're in person. I think people right. still want that personal interaction. There's only so far you can get with certain digital channels. Certainly, so. certainly, yeah. Advice advice isn't a big part of that as well. Uh, and building the infrastructure for a, a lot, uh, you know, one thing that Crossover has really built its business on is mm. providing the infrastructure layer for others to build on top of. Right. It's, it's giving them that sandbox exactly. to experiment. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we really do it in a tech-first fashion. That's mm. kind of the, the idea is to be able to enable others to build mm. um, because, you know, there's plenty, there's plenty of, of ideas, but if you don't have the right infrastructure to be able to execute on that idea and that you know, concept, yeah. it's very difficult. It's interesting as well, and again, obviously we're talking about Web3, but you kind of wonder if that is kind of too utopian, this sort of decentralized 
vision that's out there. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of components there, but we, it might end up looking a lot more like Web 2.5 or something, right? It's this, this kind of, you, you can't have complete decentralization in the same way as you have <laughs> centralization for everything. Yeah, um, that's an interesting question uh, or point, rather. I would say that there is, decentralization is a spectrum. Mm. It's not a switch or on or off. Right. And so I think there is value in decentralization. Depends what exactly we're talking about because it's a very broad term. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Or if, yeah. You just, if you just think about sort of like the user experience, a lot, I think a lot of the, the best things and a lot of the concepts behind Web3 are sort of based on the premise that we had all of the protocols except for money, mm -hmm. right? So now that we can put money in here and it's money that's not arranged or organized by a central b bank, right? right? Like, me, how, how do we fit this protocol into a, a if, we were, if we were to have this when the web started, what would the web look like now? Well, it's funny, in a lot of ways, it is almost a reversion to the, you know, the, the more, more, again, um, I, I guess, anarchic components of the original web, right? I mean, you've obviously, web two is probably categorized by this amalgamation towards centralized big tech platforms and kind of ruined the party. But back, back when it was like screeching modems and, you know, uh, dancing babies, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know what I mean? But uh, I think, so, so Web3 could be like really a trip back into, you know, some of the more fun parts of that ownership. Sure. I, I worry a little bit about that, that idea that Web3 is going to just naturally take us there. I almost think we're going to have to forcefully um, rethink the nature of the platforms that, that we've accepted in Web2.0. But... I want to go back to something that you said uh, earlier, Nathan. Um, one of the things that, that you said, and I hear this all the time, and I, I do think that there is a naivete, maybe not in this room, but there is a naivete about the nature of what banks really do uh, and how you know what where they are going to sit in the system when we try to uh, decentralize. And you said, which I think is just kind of accepted common thought is that uh, there's a place or there's a lot of opportunities for them. But no, I, I rarely hear people go, you know what, I think this is an interesting opportunity for banks in this space. So uh, other than having your portrait in the metaverse, um, maybe you could tell me, you know, what opportunities uh, would you dream of them having in this space? What do you think could be really fun? Um, I think... In order for crypto and Web3 to, earn, to reach the next level of legitimacy, we need um, a consensus of financial, financial institutions to build the infrastructure for uh, a compliant crypto mm -hmm. environment. Yep, and absolutely. to unpack that a little bit, what I mean is banks, even though they move a little bit slower, than crypto companies, they, they have a much higher standard, mm. which, which creates the opportunity because they are a trusted counterparty. And so there, there is a place for trust, even though you know, a lot of these crypto protocols are trustless and the idea of mm. a trustless transaction is super interesting, but there's also value in having mm. trust. It's, yeah, it's, it's also it's kind of super terrifying as well, right? It's, you know, in code we trust. Right. And the opportunity for pilot error in that is pretty exactly. significant. Yeah. I mean, uh, just, just talking specifically about something that's happened recently, bridges, right? Mm. Crypto bridges, going from one chain to another, yeah. is 
a high risk, it's, a, it's an area of vulnerability in crypto. Banks and financial institutions, Cross River specifically, we're thinking very hard about this because we can be a trusted counterparty that allows others to move through, through from one chain to another in a trusted way without being exposed to the, to the issues with some of the decentralized bridges. I, I mean, I really think we've gotten used to, especially those of us who own crypto, we've gotten used to all these, this like fragmented way of life. We right. haven't really been thinking about, again, kind of back to basics, like the boring stuff, the idea that I can use a trusted operator to move from one to another, or, I mean, even things as simple as, you know, you know, as our generation or generations like build and grow wealth, the idea, like in my mind, my crypto is just sort of like sitting off in some shady part of the world and no, like no, everywhere else where I have, yeah. you know, some sort of financial security that like the crypto is just not spoken about. But it, the idea that it would be actually right. in an institution right. and it's on their balance sheet and it's a part of the overall profile and right. picture and it's able, you're able to move it on, it, it's moved on your behalf with an institution right. like that, which is insured. Like it's just it, a whole different. It brings volume. a ton of legitimization, yeah. which is absolutely needed. I mean, it's um, and again, I think this this is really what the industry needs. It totally. is that you know you you can't that again the, the the bad old days of you know the Silk Road and so on, and the association with it being this sort of anonymous pseudo currency that's used for, you know. Or what was the the um, the analogy? It's like a taxi running outside your house solving Sudoku's for heroin, right? That was kind of the original. Sure. But it's, we've moved beyond that now. So Sudoku's for heroin. I'm gonna. I think I'll get a T-shirt. <laughs> That's a good one. Be a T-shirt. <laughs> well, I mean, gentlemen, any any kind of final comments? I mean, I'm fascinated really with how this partnership's going to evolve. What do you think we're going to see within the next, say, 18 months? I mean, and that's kind of a big crystal ball picture. That could be your association with each other, but where do you think that the, the crypto industry is going? Go ahead, Jeff. I think, uh, I think the word custody is going to mean a different thing to banks in mm. the next 18 months or so. I think the, like, the idea of custody and a, the legal concept of custody is very important, but the <laughs> idea that any institution can, in a compliant way, hold crypto assets mm. on behalf of, even if they're not a custodian, right? Like they can move and transmit on behalf of clients. But they, but they don't have custody per right. se. Right, like that will be, I think a lot- There, there is no bank vault for right. crypto. Exactly, right. many, many more institutions are gonna come to the idea that, oh, we, we, we do play a game, we have to have a, 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 a we have to sit in this space, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm also kind of, I, I am excited about how like what insurance is going to play in here too. Again, just thinking about right. sort of the bridges between traditional and crypto, um, you know, that insurance play is going to be really curious to watch yeah. play out. What about yourself, Nathan? Um, let's see. <laughs> well, 18 months is a, it's a long time. In yeah. <laughs> Very long time. But not in banking. <laughs> not in banking. But I am in crypto at a tech company with yeah. a banking license. Um, that's actually how we describe Crosser. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited about the, like what, what it's going to take to get the next billion users in crypto. Mm. That's what I think about a lot. And is that, I mean, again, clearly there's, there's a lot of uptick in developed markets, but clearly in developing markets as well, where you've got the opportunity for crypto to be truly transformational in terms of, you know, providing right. banking to the unbanked and underbanked. So 
I think up to today, the people that are in crypto are very much curious about, you know, become crypto curious and then mm -hmm. go, get into crypto. I think the future, maybe the next 18 months, will create more users of crypto that, like I said earlier, have fintech apps in the front and are using crypto on the back for speed, for security, um, for cross-border transactions, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Uh, but they, they don't even know they're using crypto. They're just enjoying the benefits. Of right. It's, it's interesting as well. I think, I mean, the, the companies, the, the bad companies in traditional financial services that have relied on hidden fees and obfuscation and slow transaction speeds, they're, they're going to be, there can be a light shone on those organizations. I think, again, crypto and Web3 is going to be truly eye-opening for those organizations that suddenly look very obsolete. And, you know, the, the, the fact that they've got away with things that long is going to be uh, a bit of a reckoning, I think. You've, you've seen the, the chart of crypto adoption and the internet of adoption yeah. overlaid. Everyone's seen that. It's, it, it's really the same exact uh, theme over and over again. Humans are creatures of habit, mm -hmm. and same thing happening. We just need to you know, be the institutions and the companies that are willing to move forward yeah. you know, on the spectrum and, and those that still don't have a website. Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, I would continue this conversation for hours because it's just fascinating and clearly it's nice for me to be out of the house and I love talking. So <laughs> thank, thank you for, I mean, but, but for the sake of the brevity and keeping the podcast to 30 minutes, we need to kind of wrap this up. So um, like I say, Jeff Billingham from Chainalysis, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having uh, Nathan Beckerman from um, Cross River, thank yes. you so much. My, my co-pilot, Rachel Morrissey, thank you so much and thank you everyone for, uh, for coming out. It's great to actually see faces. It's so Thanks great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank, Thank you, guys. guys. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on The Money Pod today. We want to thank Nathan and Jeff for their insights and Chainalysis and Cross River for inviting us to participate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and tell all your friends. Also, if you have a pitch for the podcast, please let us know at podcast at money2020.com. Thank you for listening. This is essential. 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 This is Essential Audio.